Welcome to Regenerative Rising, Elevating Stories, Activating Change. I'm your host, Selene Diaris, and with me today is Heather Terry, the founder and CEO of Good Sam Foods. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Selene. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I'm excited because you have such an interesting story and journey. You're a graduate of culinary school. You've been on stage. You've been the co-founder of another chocolate company called Nibmore. And now you're um, driving incredible change and bringing a very beautiful intention to the world of um, snacks and food through Good Sam Foods. Yeah. That's interesting. That's an interesting trajectory to have had. It's been a long road, like <laughs> a long and winding road. You know, I think um, as a woman in consumer goods, I think, you know, there's a lot of times founders who have maybe had their first hit kind of be the thing. And a lot of other women out there who have maybe tried things and they haven't quite worked and then have disappeared from the space, which I always think is really sad because there's some really talented women out there. I am a very unconventional story, having had several brands and several positions within brands that have been growing and, and then moving and reinventing. And, you know, so I guess right off top, I'll say for anyone who's been out there and who maybe had something and then left and wants to come back, you should come jump back in the pool because um, things have changed a lot in the last 15 years, especially for us women um, in supply chain and in business in general and in doing business in CPG. Well, let's unpack that a little bit because that's a really interesting series of things. Uh, a new, new different energy for women um, uh, you said something about supply chain. So why don't we unpack, share a little bit about what you've noticed over the last 15 years for women in the industry, and then we'll, we'll move into supply. Yeah. You know, I co-founded Nibmore with a woman named Jennifer Love, who's still a dear, lovely friend of mine. And, um, you know, we tried to dig deep into supply chain in those early years. This was 2009, 2010, which seems like it was a pretty evolved time, but it kind of wasn't. You know, we were still amongst some of the very few female founders in the industry. Uh, there were a lot of sharks in the industry at the time, you know, VCs and family offices were just kind of starting to, to flood the space at that point. You know, Expo West was one floor of the Anaheim Convention Center when we started. We were on the main floor, you know, in our early days. And I think, you know, we were paving a way. We didn't really know that. But when we tried to get into supply chain, that was very difficult, you know, for two women to like we want to go to these places or please show us where we're sourcing this from that was kind of unheard of back then you know and mm -hmm. we pushed we pushed that envelope really really hard we only got to a certain point which was incredibly frustrating for both of us and you know it's funny because jen and i kind of reminisce about you know what it was that we intended to build at nibmore and a lot of that is coming to fruition here for me and my team at good sam some of which are nibmore transplants by the way you know people who who have been with me since that original vision and i think uh supply chain has changed in that consumers are demanding more and more transparency, right? We thought transparency back in 2010 meant non-GMO project verified, of which we were the first chocolate brand to do it. But it was it only went so far, right? It only went so far. And when Jen and I got out there with farmers, 
we were often really disappointed with the answers that we heard. We were disappointed with how what their experience was, right, based on the fair trade system or what was a greenwash transparency system at that point. And I think when Good Sam crossed my desk, which it wasn't Good Sam when it crossed my desk, it was something completely different um, that I completely revamped uh, alongside my partners at Beyond Brands. I um, I realized we had an opportunity to really chip away at supply chain. And we were finally in a position in a post Me Too movement as women in this industry to actually go out there and do it. Um, it's no longer really, it's not as strange for me to be a woman who is in the field and who you know does that work. But historically, it's been men in our industry, uh, in the natural products industry. It's primarily been men in supply chain. And so, um, I guess to that end, I'll also welcome any woman who wants to come into supply chain with open arms. You know, there's a few of us, there's a handful of us that are doing it. And uh, we'll take any woman who wants to come uh, do it alongside us uh, for sure. Uh, in any capacity, we will welcome and embrace you. Uh, we need more women in the field. Uh, women connect, I think, on a more empathetic level with farmers and families and communities. And that energy is really transformative out in the world. And so, yeah, if you're thinking about it and you're out there listening to this, I would welcome you uh, to start companies, build companies, join companies that are doing this work. Well, let's talk a little bit about for those who may not even know what we mean by supply chain or supply web. Um, what is it we're, we're talking about? We're talking about how you find the ingredients inside yeah. of a product that you're making. So why don't you share a little bit more about what makes that context unique? And I think for many folks, it's kind of like a new, a new reveal around what this means behind huh. the products that they're eating. Yeah, so typically supply chain in the United States is supply chain or supply web. I know that's a, a pretty new term, people calling it a supply web. Um, which it is in some ways, and in some ways it it is linked like a like a chain, right? Like it, it just depends on how you're working within the system. But um, it is typical that most brands, small brands, mid-sized brands, will have middlemen in that supply chain, people who are helping facilitate the deals along the way, people who are dealing with the farmers or dealing with another broker who deals with the farmer or the association or the cooperative, right? So I think. Um, we're very used to that in CPG. We're very used to these layers and layers of people in the system that, in my opinion, do not need to necessarily be there. Now, they serve some purposes, right, with maybe ingredients that are very difficult to find, you know, things like that. But um, when we're really thinking about when we're really thinking about larger scale, like for us doing chocolate or coffee, for instance, we have more buying power. And so what we did in the very beginning was we said, we said to ourselves, well, could we go into the supply chain? Could we go directly to farmers, cooperatives and associations, negotiate with them at the table, still pay the fair trade premium, even though we're not vying for fair trade, still pay the organic premium, still give them that cash up front, but take that 1% that we, um, that we would otherwise pay to third party certifiers and do do and run the programs on our own. Right. And that's essentially what we did. So, you know, sometimes you can go to a co-manufacturer and CPG and you can just get your product on turnkey. Sometimes there are elements of it that you built out yourself. Sometimes you have a lot of middlemen in between you and the actual producer and you're relying on certifications. 
none of them are wrong. They're just, you know, there are more transparent ways of coming to the table as a business. And I urge anybody out there who wants to do this type of work to do it in any way that they can, right? So this is not about shaming any one organization over another. It's about saying, okay, you know what? We source a lot of cacao. So if we source a lot of cacao, could we get closer to the person who plants the seed? You know, we have a big disparity in this country, especially in the United States, between the person who plants the seed and the person who consumes the end product, right? Um, and there are many packaged goods that somebody's planting the seed to get to that packaged good or a component of that packaged good. We're just so disconnected from it. And at Good Sam, what we're trying to do is expose that, you know, yeah, a yellow tag is great. A sale is awesome. But when there's real human capital involved in that and real livelihood and real family uh, survival at the heart of it, we have to really start to think about what that means to us as consumers and as people on this planet. You know, it. Uh, yeah, it's it's a huge deal because when you think about how do we create a reference point for our shared impact, you know, there's those of us who are just merely shoppers and we're choosing things off the shelf. And then there's other people who, to your point, are in the industry and creating products for the marketplace. There's an opportunity to become, have more agency in the journey to be actually setting your own standards, setting the bar, it sounds from what you're describing, high, so that you're really aiming to create prosperity and well-being where you guys are sourcing and then bringing a higher quality product to the market for the folks who are going to enjoy the finished foods, exactly. right? Exactly. I think it's really exciting that you speak to this journey that you've been inside of and how you've witnessed in a, a kind of an evolution in the opportunity to create more direct relationships with your growers. Um, so we've talked, we've used some different terms here. You know, there's aggregators or, or middlemen who buy from a whole host of different producers. I think there's another thing I'm really fascinated by, and I'm wondering if you guys do, um, you know, identity pres preservation of being able to say, my art, this cacao in this brand came from this place or this cooperative. Yeah, so we're working on that right now. Um, our, the, our primary cacao growing country is Colombia, where there is a little bit of resistance to that type of tracking. You know, we have to remember in places like Colombia, we have to remember in any country, any developing country that we're working in, uh, that there are circumstances in other cultures that are not, that do not fit into our ideas about the future right away. And we have a very bad habit in the Western world and the United States and Europe in particular of forcing our own ideas about things onto marginalized communities and people of color, right? So for us in working in Colombia, we have to be very sensitive to the fact that a war ended in 2017, a war that was about the, upri the uprising of peasants and farmers who did not trust the government. And when you start to talk about things like NFTs and blockchain in a place like Colombia, it's perceived very differently, right? As opposed to our cooperative in Kenya, which 
for better or worse, Kenya was a colonialized um, country by the British. They're more used to those types of systems. They're more used to streamlined systems. They're more open to those types of systems. So we run in a full blockchain against our association there, our cooperative there in Kenya that the farmers love and are very happy with, right? Mm -hmm. But it's blockchain, NFTs, all this tracking technology that we're talking about in the United States is not a one size fits all for every single country or every single producing region. And we have to be really, really careful about that, you know, and, and you know, Celine, this is something that I talk about a lot in the regenerative ag movement as well. When we talk about regenerative agriculture, what a lot of people in the US, even our very esteemed colleagues who I have a ton of respect for, um, what they're missing in many instances, in most instances, is that regenerative agriculture is smallholder farmer and indigenous wisdom we do not hold the corner on that market as Americans who are putting products into the CPG landscape. We don't even hold the corner on that market as farmers in the United States. We are the one of the worst offenders of monocropping in the world. We have a of lot course. of problems here. So to take our ideas about something like regenerative ag and put a one size fits all onto every single growing region around the world, in my opinion, is wrong. I also think that we need to uplift indigenous voices and smallholder farmer voices into that conversation. And I don't see it happening at the level it needs to happen to make those certifications or those principles universal, right, at this stage in the game. Now, I'm not saying that those things can't happen or that I don't support it if it happens, but we're not seeing it yet. What we're seeing is what we've done every other time, right? Oh, yeah, it's the same. Right. It's the same, you know, it's like, to your point, if we were really operating with the full understanding of the principles of regeneration, which are interdependence and mutuality and evolution, it's like we would be starting from a place of welcome, like, let's sit down, let's, let's understand each other. You have wisdom to impart a, more humility is More something humility. that I yeah. think is so significantly lacking in our, our culture. We're a very arrogant yes. culture. Um, we, are. We, we think we know. And I just have to remind all of us, like if we were so smart, we wouldn't be in the predicament we're in as a, as a planet. And yeah. we wouldn't have the disparities and well-being that we have as a planet and as a culture if we were so smart. So we're not that smart in a lot of ways. We have the potential, we have the capability to, to refine and improve the way that we are co-creating on this planet. But fundamentally, we have to start with some very new agreements about co-creation, shared well-being, caring, mutuality. You know, it's just, it's, it's an evolution of consciousness and it has to become integrated into everything that we're doing if we want to really have new outcomes collectively. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we have a, we want to own things, you know, and I think that's where so many of our problems stem from is this idea that I must have ownership of this or I must get to it first or I must put it on my label first or I must, do. that's not what this is. 
right? And I think we're missing the mark on that. This idea of ownership over regenerative agriculture, this idea of owning a concept that is so beyond our comprehension as Americans or Europeans in general um, is wrong, you know, and we, right. we have to open ourselves up to the fact that like, we don't own this and actually we're not the experts in it. And we're not, we have to be open to the collaboration, the collaborative spirit, because, you know, no matter what, you know, Jeff Bezos says, or Elon Musk says, we're not living on Mars anytime in this lifetime. You know, we're just, we're not. And, and you know, why we, would we want to, why would we want to go we to, to this it, place that doesn't have, you know, daffodils? Oxygen and butterflies and bumblebees and oxygen go figure no oxygen. i agree with you like oxygen is real yeah. basic. like it's i feel like, like right there like i don't want to have to wear something that like my life depends on all the time so you know i i think we just i think we're just missing the mark and i think part of that is just because you know we we want to get there first and we've got to let go of that concept it just it doesn't well, who else are we competing with it's just us against ourselves right and right. i think you know we could you know we're we're doing a women's summit and we're talking a lot about the the effect of patriarchy and i i think it's interesting that we don't talk about this very openly and i think it's something that needs to be named more often because it's a it's an overarching thematic that is extractive and dominating instead of relational and connecting and the planet is in the trouble that it's in because that frame has dominated conversations now for literally hundreds and hundreds of years centuries millennia and the outcome is clearly problematic and yeah. women have remained in an excluded place until very recently in the epoch of time for humans in terms of creating the systems that now deeply govern our shared reality. Yeah. And because we are entering into the conversation with more fortitude and more courage as women, I think this is an incredible opportunity for us to help to reshape the conversation happening uh, as a planet to say, hey, you know, this is alive. And because it's alive, it has to be treated with respect and care because it's just like we bruise and, and cut easily. So does all of the systems on our planet. They're vulnerable. They have a fragileness despite the robustness of life. They are still very vulnerable to disruption. And when we come bulldozing in literally with yeah. just a, a kind of, like you're saying, an, a sense of ownership, a sense of dominance that you can just do what you want and the consequences someone else can attend to. I mean, that is clearly a disastrous strategy and that's what we've been living with for a long time. Yeah, and we see that, you know, we see that in farm communities, you know, when, when we come in typically, Celine, it is, especially in places like Colombia or Bolivia, you know, a little bit in Peru, depending on how remote we are. But, you know, we have a lot of communities when we first show up that are like, okay, great. We don't think you're, we're ever going to see you again. You know, there's such distrust. There's such, um, 
cynicism, right, uh, in what our representation is from the Western world, right, that that we're going to come in here and do X, Y, and Z. I have a policy with my team that we never promise anything that we can't deliver on. Um, I'm really proud of that at Good Sam. You know, we don't get swept up in the emotion. We don't get we are we are emotional about the work that we do, but we don't get swept up in it because when you look at somebody in a place that is coming from a place of I want to do this, I need the tools and resources to do this. There have been other people who have shown up and have not delivered on this. There's a that cynicism is very valid and it and it should be there, right? Because there's a lot of pain around that conversation. When we're able to deliver and we're able to show up and do what we said and empower those communities, because to us, it's never, this is not philanthropy. I think sometimes people, you know, I say this a lot in interviews that like, I'm not a philanthropist, right? I, I'm not here to just hand out money and be like, great, whatever, we helped those poor people. This is a business model. Good Sam runs on a business model that empowers communities. We invest back in our community so that they can grow with us. And not only do we do that, but we work alongside those communities. We don't do it for them. We work with them. We find the artisan, the plumber, the guy who does the roofing in that community, right? We don't bulldoze up with our machinery. You know, um, there's a funny story about a school we just recently dealt with and, and we put the funds into it, but the community built it. And there were 40 donkeys that showed up with all the materials, right? Oh, and people wow. were blown away. They were just like, holy cow, there's like 40 donkeys here. And this is amazing. And, you know, <laughs> but they did it. They did the work. They put that work in. We enabled them to do it by purchasing their products and then by reinvesting. And we've been able to plant thousands of trees, thousands of cocoa trees in Colombia. We took all the available organic cacao out of the country of Colombia last year. We, you know, yes, we've done really, really great things. And then we've done things, Selene, that have been asked for that were totally necessary, like building a cadmium testing lab, which is like not what's sexy or like what you need to put up on Instagram, right? Like nobody <laughs> cares about that, but it matters to them. It actually drives their business forward. And, you know, that's how we've shown up. That's how yeah. we've decided to come in and collaborate to your point. You know, the spirit of collaboration rather than being a hero, you know, on all of our packaging, you know, it says be an ally for small farmers. An ally is different than a hero. An ally is somebody who stands next to someone and links arms and says, we're in this together. I have a vested interest. You have a vested interest. Let's make things better for one another. That's an ally. I love that. Right? I love that. That is such a powerful differentiation. And I think so much of some of the worst stories that you, we can hear of are where people have come in and just essentially done what they thought needed to be done. And it, oftentimes it's so at odds with what the local community would choose that it's yeah. a, it's an, a, it's a failure. It's a, like a misappropriation of resource. It happens all the time. I've heard all of time. cinder block houses built in India that were sweltering nightmares for people. So they live outside of them. <laughs> We've seen, you know, we clean up a lot of work from NGOs, um, very well-intentioned, but when the community doesn't know how to deal with it, fix it, maintain it, um, there's one in particular, a water tank in the middle of Kenya, you know, where it was like this NGO thought this was great. Well, then the NGO ran out of money 
okay, well, where does this, does this community get the water from now? Where, how do they get it? How, you know, so they've turned to tourism and they've basically taken their culture and had to become entertainers. I mean, that's wow. heartbreaking. They were cattle herders, right? Like this is, this is what's happening. And I think that's taking a very precious piece of history out of a, a culture and a community and just to survive, right? So we have to, as businesses, as CPG companies, as natural products companies, as women in businesses, all of it, people who are focused on regenerative agriculture and who are focused on, you know, because regenerative agriculture is not mutually exclusive to people. It is completely connected. And, and we want to talk about soil health and sequestering carbon and nitrogen, but we cannot forget the people part. We cannot forget the pain and the history and the suffering and the culture, right? We can't forget that. And we're forgetting that right now a lot. And, um, you know, that those are the things that we see out in the field that um, and again, we're not saviors or heroes for cleaning it up. We're just saying, hey, let's just get that done so that you guys can move on and do the really important things. And and that's fine. You know, we're, we're able to help out there and we're able to get somebody to come in and be like, this is how we'd switch it so we can actually deal with it. This is this is the work that oftentimes are the first steps for us. They're the first steps into a community, the first steps to establishing trust and building those relationships, you know, removing garbage like just, you know, because in the Colombian countryside, there's not a, a dump truck, you guys like there's no it doesn't exist. So somebody actually has to get hired to come and pick that stuff up and take it away. And it's that seems benign to us. It's something we completely take for granted, but it makes a huge, huge difference, right? To the life and the lifestyle on that particular farm. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, I think that part of it, and, and, and again, back to just like regenerative ag is deeply, deeply com connected to people and culture and communities. You know, we can sit there scientifically and talk about soil health all day, but these communities, these smallholder farmers, these indigenous people are stewards of the soil. They have protected what little we have left for a very, very long time. We owe them that voice. We owe them that amplification. We owe them that seat at the table. We do. They've done You're the right. work for us. I love what you just said. And I just want to uh, remind folks that they're listening to Regenerative Rising, Elevating Stories, Activating Change. I'm your host, Selene Diaris, and with me today is Heather Terry, the founder and CEO of Good Sam Foods. That voice at the table and that we literally have an obligation to honor, as you say, like there is a history here. And I, I'm when sometimes people go, well, I didn't do it. I'm like, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. We have to be in a continuum and that continuum has had impacts and effects that we're all inside of. Mm -hmm. So to come to the table as you're describing it and to sit across from folks in a way that says, I'm here to learn from you. I'm here to be in relationship with you. I'm here to create exchange and you will help set the terms. You will help design the relationship. This isn't me coming in and telling you how it's going to be. And I think that fundamentally is a much more feminine way of showing up because it's relational. It's not transactional. And relational is really sort of the evolution of how we move from that extractive paradigm to one that's about co-creation and mutuality. You know, mutuality says, 
I'm going to have a, a point of caring about your well-being as well as my own. You know, the, the Christian tradition that says, love your neighbor as you love yourself or do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That as a living systems model is so rarely actually honored. So it's like, wow, if we actually followed the precepts of all these different traditions around our planet and actually lived from them consciously, uh, I, I'm, I'm here to say, I don't think the things would look the way they do and it would yeah. be a better world for everyone. Yeah. And I think Celine, you know, I, I just want to, and, and I know I talk about Columbia a lot because it's, it's really ground zero for us. That was the first place we went to. And now we operate in Kenya, Ghana, uh, Bolivia, Peru, Mexico, you know, we're growing all the time, but Columbia holds a very special place in my heart. And there's a lot of reasons for that. So, you know, I'm, I'm an American through and through, I grew up in the heartland and just outside of Chicago, uh, Midwesterner, you know, Republican parents, like the whole, the whole nine yards. And, um, but very deeply Christian, my mother, big Catholic, um, but, and always taught me to, uh, you know, that do unto others as you would have done unto you. When I entered this particular business, having been in consumer goods for a very long period of time in my career, it was hard to listen. And so I, I want everybody out there. Cause I think sometimes when we talk about like colonialization or we talk about, you know, how we're still oppressing through these ideas and stuff. There's a real defensiveness about that. And I want to address it because I am not perfect. It took me a long time to get to sitting at this part of the table. And I am certainly not perfect in any way, shape or form. Um, but my partners in Colombia, in particular, you know, our marketing director, Saida Abdallah, our partners um, that we're vertically integrated with from a manufacturing perspective who travel with us in the field, those are the people that have taught me a lot. And I'll tell you why. Most of them, the majority of those individuals who are Colombian uh, went through the war, but they're also city slickers, right? They're city dwellers, but they've been able to bridge the gap for me between mm. what happened there and my American mentality. It took a lot of me sitting and listening and understanding and being open enough to hear why we can't do things in a certain way or why a community can't be approached in a certain way. You know, we, we, to a certain degree as Americans, we want to just kind of like go in there and we want to, we want to be, you know, GI Joe and it just, it doesn't work. And we have to be, again, this is not about blaming anybody. You know, none of us were there when slavery happened, but we're dealing with the aftermath of it. And we have to find a way to look at all these situations, right? Colonialization, slavery, all the, all the topics and say, okay, yeah, I wasn't there, but I am benefiting from the privilege of the aftermath. Right. And the, the playing field is not level and the circumstances are not the same and the, the culture is not the same. So what can I learn here? How can I humble myself? and just be and listen and not project, right? Right. It, it's really hard, you know, because we automatically want to go to that defensive place. And I want to say to anybody who's listening here to this and is like, you know, getting, getting up about it, <laughs> that you don't have to do that. I was like that too, right? I'm, I'm going to take a moment to just be really vulnerable and real here. I was like that too. It took a lot of people to open my eyes, hold my hand, um, expose 
the truth of what mm. the real situation is and me being able to slowly crack open uh, my heart to that to be able to truly understand it. Um, and I do want to give a shout out, you know, to an American um, woman who's actually part of Regen Rising, which is C. Stanley, who is another one um, who I worked with a couple of years ago and who has just opened my eyes to things that, you know, if you really sit down and you listen to C and you don't take the defensive yes. on her message, you will open your heart to a world of people and experiences and a way of being, and it will change you. It will change the way you move through business. It will change the way you move through the world. It will change what you teach your children. There are leaders like her paving the way, teaching me, right? I can, yes. I can teach C all day long about, you know, um, RTVs and discounts at retail and, you know, all that stuff. But but people like C and people like Saida and other members of my team uh, have opened my heart to empathy and understanding and collaboration and spirit, right? Which sound very woo-woo, but like we can't do the work that we do at Good Sam without all of those things present at all times. It's, yes. you really can't. I, I have to just share uh, on the woo-woo level, my body just had like a whole wave of energy when you mentioned C because I agree, she's on my board and I just adore her and I have such a deep respect for her because she's a woman of color. She's a farmer in the South um, and she speaks truth. And if you're uncomfortable with hearing her experiences of being treated as a lesser presence just because of the beautiful tone of her skin. It is a very, it'll stop you in your tracks. She told me a story one time that she was at this gala. She had a gorgeous dress on and someone came up and handed her their empty glass. And she just looked at them and she's like, really? Do you see what I have on? Do you really think that's, I'm the one that yeah. you're supposed to be handing that glass to. Yeah. And the person was just like, suddenly their eyes could see, yeah. like they saw beyond just the color of her skin and suddenly beheld that she's in this gala dress. She's actually one of the guests just like they are. And it was a, a huge moment for that individual yeah. to kind of get shaken into a level of like, take the blinders off and see. Yeah. And she's a teacher. <laughs> she's a teacher, right? She's a she teacher. Is. Like my farmers are a teacher, just like the indigenous tribes that we work with are teachers, just like yes. people from other cultures are teachers, you know, and we're a teacher to them of a different right. way, right? Like yes. if we can actually reframe those differences as opening ourselves up to learning something about another culture, another person, another way of doing things we would be in so many different positions in this world than we are right now. So uh, true. You know, so I don't know, again, I just urge everybody listening, like if you're, if you're feeling that and you're feeling that defensiveness and you're feeling like, oh my God, I just, I don't want to hear about this anymore. Just try to open yourself up a little bit. It sounds crazy to that that would change things for you, but truly it will change things for you. It will we're all the same in a lot of ways, right? Just some of us have been given more opportunities than others. And just because you've been given that opportunity doesn't mean that you shouldn't share that experience with someone That's else. That's right. 
And, you know, I think another way to say that is like, it's an invitation to be curious. Look at children. Children are perpetually curious. What's this? Why this? So we, as we get older, we start to become more assured in our knowing. And that's part of maturation. I mean, yes, you do know the stove is hot. Don't touch it. You do learn things over the course of time, but there's an enormous amount that you don't know each of us. I mean, I am a mid fifties person. So I've been here half a century. It sounds really impressive, but there's still <laughs> so much. I don't know in my, you know, in the, in the and blink of reality, I've been here for a nanosecond. And mm-hmm. so I walk around, like I, I look to nature as one of my teachers, you know, I'm watching the bees here in Colorado. It's we're having the driest spring I've ever seen mm-hmm. in the 30 years I've been here. It's Gosh. intense. And the bees, I've never seen the bees like coming to water. So I'm feeling like I've, I keep learning how to steward the well-being of the bees. So I first was just pouring water and they were drowning. Then I put rocks in, they were still drowning. So now I filled the whole basin with rocks. And I think I've finally solved the problem, but they are just, I mean, there are hundreds of bees at these different water sites I've created and it's so dry. The land, we were dry last summer into the fall. We had a dry winter, a dry spring. So this is the longest dry spell I've ever seen here. And it is, it's concerning. It's staggering. It's humbling. It's kind of like we have so little authority in the things that matter until mm-hmm. we start to step in and go, okay, I can't and make it rain, but yeah, what can I focus, do? You know, we do, we put such focus on politics and divide and me against you. And like, at the end of the day, you attempting to water the bees actually does something. So you see what I'm saying? Like we put all this, we put all this identity and we put all of this importance on things that we really can't control. We've bought into it in so many ways when there are just other things we could be doing to move the needle in the direction of a better world that matter, you know, right. and like let the dandelions example, right? survive. Right. It is because, you know, I, people will say to me, you know, well, what is something I can do? And I often will say, I mean, starts with your own little piece of paradise, yeah. Wherever you live, like stop using pesticides and herbicides, let the dandelions grow. That's the first flower in the spring. It's first food for bees. You know, it's just like, think about the interconnectedness of life. It's all interconnected. And we each have an opportunity, no matter where we are, to be contributing to that sense of shared well-being. And it's as simple as noticing that the bees are drowning in the water that I started putting out because I was trying to be helpful. And so then evolving the process so that now if they fall in the water, there's something they're going to be able to grab a hold of and crawl back out. There's really, I'm hopeful that this will take us to a new level of surviving (laughs) the water problem for taking care of the bees. That's amazing. And, you know, I feel like a beekeeper when I go out there and I pour the water in, I have bees like just swarming around me and it's the coolest thing. I'm just like, wow, I'm one with the bees. Like they're, they don't hurt me. When I come to Colorado, I'm coming, I'm coming to see you and the bees. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to get a hive because I'm just, I'm having such a beautiful experience of, this yeah. 
just loving them and providing for them and taking my little stick and saving the ones that are starting to be drowning and they grab the little stick and I take them out. <laughs> it's adorable. <laughs> I love it. You're going to get like 85 memes of like memes of like bees drowning now after this podcast. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. Let, let's not let the trees bees drown. You know, I think yeah. one of the things that's thematic and what we're talking about is sort of the difference between how we show up from a place of humility and curiosity versus how we show up with hubris and an over sort of an arrogance of thinking we know. And it sounds to me like the experience you've had in your journey is kind of evolving from thinking, you know, to becoming aware of how much you don't know, and then moving into how much you can learn by being in partnership with people, as opposed to coming in to do it from some other perspective. Is there a story yeah. you could share that like kind of captures that moment? I mean, I'll say this. Like that? Yeah, I'll say this. You know, when I started my career really, you know, 15, almost 15 years ago now, um, it was all about secrecy. And, you know, we were always like worried that somebody was going to like take something from us. And I remember us really... And maybe that's a sign of youth. I don't know. But but we really, you know, we were so worried about our competitors and like this and that. And I, I think there's still there are still so many people who are spinning in that soup. And oftentimes, you know, when we put out an impact report or we're talking very candidly or openly in the press about our partners, you know, our associations, our uh, co-mans, um, when we're taking photos with our co-mans and we're, we're telling. What's we're a co-man? I don't know that word. Our co-manufacturers, the people who you oh, know, okay. wind up producing <laughs> the finished goods for us. Um, people are surprised. And, uh, you know, I remember really early in my career, I was, um, I, I decided to go in the food industry because I went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. I was a, I was an actor for uh, seven years professionally in New York, and I was tired of waiting tables in between jobs and the housing crisis had just happened and it was difficult. And so I decided to go back to school, uh, both culinary and um, in the Institute for Integrative Nutrition at the same time. And I I remember Joshua Rosenthal from IIN. Uh, I ran into him in the lobby of the Beacon Theater, and he uh, he kind of knew what I was doing. Nibmore was just kind of taking shape at that point, and he um, he said something to me. I, he said, "What's how's it going? Like, what are you? What's your biggest concern?" And I was like, "I don't know. Just like the competition. Like somebody's gonna come and do this, and it's like I'm making chocolate. Yeah." Lots of people are making chocolate, Heather, like, duh, right? But I was young, you know, I was 27. I was a little, I was really arrogant. I was really arrogant and really green in the industry. I had, I really, you know, I was, I was a professional actor, but I wasn't a professional business person. And I was so obsessed with this idea. And he looked at me and said, point blank, there's enough room for everybody. Beautiful. It's infinite, right? There's, there's an, some people are going to love your product. Some people aren't going to love your product. Some people are going to gravitate toward another one, be loyal to another one, be loyal to no one. Right. And I think that that set a mind shift in me. And I, you know, but, but it took me many years to figure out that like, if somebody really wants to figure out who we're working with, they're going to figure it out. So why not extol the virtues of my partners? Why not lift up my network of people who are literally 
helping us do this. You know, of course, as the, as somebody who's the, a founder and a CEO and who's done many businesses in this industry, I get elevated a lot. I'm out in front of the press a lot. I will be the first person to tell you, I do not do this alone. There are so many people that make this happen. I'm just, I am a mouthpiece, right? I'm a mouthpiece. That's what I am. And I am good at being a mouthpiece, but you know, I can't do what my guy Tom Den Hartog does on the ground in Colombia, the negotiating that he does alongside our partners at Lucre Chocolate. I can't do, you know, the things that our guys at Limbua in Kenya do. I can't do what those guys do. I can't grow a plant, Selene, and I kill it. It's like I and 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 I'm 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 doing permaculture right now, right? And I've got like a guy <laughs> helping me because I you know no one we're we're here on this planet and there's a lot to do, but we can't do it all. And, and that's the good news. Anything great <laughs> takes many, many people to yes. make it happen. And Absolutely. I think we we lose such sight of that. And and again, you know, I wanna I wanna celebrate all the people that I'm working with. I wanna celebrate all of them. I think what we've done here at Good Sam is spectacular and something to be. Uh, looked at and celebrated and emulated and copied. And I want everyone to look at the people who built that and say, yeah, those are the people. I don't want to hide those people. I don't want them in the background. I don't want my farmer in the background. I don't want my co-man in the background. I don't want my shipper in the background. I don't want my CO in the background. I don't want, you know, I want everyone to know that it took this special mix of people to make this magic happen, you know? I love that. That is so beautiful. And I, I think it's, it as you say, it's like an evolution from that early stage where there's secrecy and protection. Like, well, if someone knows who I'm sourcing from, they're go source from them too, and they'll just do what I'm doing. But I love that that beautiful disruption from that message you received of there's room. There's room there's for room. And I think Always that's one of the things. That's a very beautiful truth because, you know, in our conversation at uh, Regenerative Rising, we talk about essence a lot. Like we each have a unique essence. There will be never be another Selene, nor has there ever been. There will be never be another Heather, nor, nor has there ever been. The blade of grass, each is unique. The leaf on a tree, each unique. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, is we're being reminded despite our blindness to the uniqueness of everything around us. Literally every human being is unique. Every living thing is unique. No cow is the same. No cacao, but you know, the whole pod there, each one looks slightly different because they are. So it's like the, the magic, the power, the beauty of the The the, wonder. The wonder, the abundance of life and all the ways that it expresses. There's so much goodness and there's so much opportunity for us to remedy the false beliefs that create scarcity and competition and violence and all of the things that grow out of this false notion of separateness. Yeah. And we're not. We're not. This, the food system, the food supply chain, the food supply web is all interconnected between planet and people. And that includes the person who plants the seed, the person who has the vision for the company, the consumer who picks it up at the end. It is all connected. We can try as hard as we want to to separate it from each other. But look where that's gotten us because we've right. done a lot of that. 
right? So it's about putting those pieces back together again. And for me, uh, as the CEO and founder of Good Sam Foods, that is one of my biggest missions in this company is that interconnectedness, is to celebrate that connectedness, is to uh, shout it from the rooftops, to show other companies that this is possible. Not always easy, but possible and deeply, deeply fulfilling. Ah, I love that aspect of the fulfilling quality of when you are creating reciprocity in your relationships, when you're creating that sense of shared exchange and shared well-being, not only do you feel good, you see it in the smile across the table from you. I mean, there's really nothing better. I, I think we overvalue things that ultimately bring no value. And we undervalue the most basics like love and caring, like to experience caring, like my relationship with you comes out of a beginning place of just being a witness to the amazingness of the other. And just like, wow, I I'm going to pause and pay attention. This person has something to create value and exchange in my life by just pausing and listening to what Heather has to say. Oh my gosh. You know, you know, that's how I feel about you. I mean, that you've built this whole thing and the people that you bring to the table and the conversations that you're having are so outside of the norm in the industry in this way. And I think um, that's so refreshing and needed. And, uh, you know, I have mad respect for you and everything that you do. And I know you're going to be telling many, many stories um, as you continue through the course of time, uh, because that's what you do. I mean, you tell the stories of companies and people and um, you allow us a platform to get people thinking because you you don't just default to the status quo. You are very... Like <laughs> well, around yes, in there you. a little bit. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I think that uh, as we come towards the close of our time together, which I don't really want to stop talking to you. <laughs> Me neither. Um, but I, I know you have another meeting. I just, I just want to acknowledge that back to the indigenous people of our planet yeah. and that you said something earlier about, you know, we really have them to thank. I'm getting tearful. We have them to thank for how much biodiversity we still have and for the places that are still alive and that we have done them such a disservice over time. And we continue to be party to that in so many ways. So my invitation is that we all have a role to play in treating all people of this planet and all living things on this planet as our brothers and sisters. They are our relatives and we are only healthy when they are healthy. And as they get sick, we get sick. And, you know, I'm a woman that's had breast cancer and I connect that to the health of the mother as her daughter, the mother is sick. And I, as her daughter came into the experience of a type of illness that I thought I was doing everything right to avoid. So it's a very humbling reminder that we're not separate from anything. What's in the water, what's in the air, what's in the soil, what's in the food. We're all 
one flesh, one people, one body. And so our brothers and sisters who have been those stewards, we owe them a deep sense of gratitude. And now we need to step in and honor them and treat them with respect. I love that. Honor them and treat them with respect. And it's, that's what I mean by amplifying their voices, bringing them to the table. We cannot keep taking from them. And we take from ourselves, you know, it's not ours, you know, it's not ours. It's also kind of oxymoronic because as we take and plunder, we are ultimately plundering our own selves. And that's kind of the consequence we're inside of as a society. We're kind of having that reckoning. You can't do this. You can't keep operating as though there is no impact or consequence to behaving as though you can lord over everyone else and take everything you want and then leave them with breadcrumbs and wonder why they're not willing to do business with you in the future. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, um, yeah, no, I, I agree with all of that. Um, it's, it's very deeply woven into the fabric of our company. Um, this respect and this regard for our smallholder farmers and our indigenous communities. It's, it's really, really important that consumers start thinking about them and knowing them. And knowing them and caring about them. Where are, where, you know, for those who haven't experienced the loveliness of a good Sam Foods product, where are they available, Heather? First and foremost on Thrive Market, um, who've been our anchor retailer since the beginning, and we love Thrive Market. Uh, they have been very, very good to us and have been very good at elevating our message and, and getting us out there into the narrative. Um, we're also available in select SKUs on Amazon. Um, you can get us on our website at goodsamfoods.com and soon at a bunch of retailers, which will be really exciting. Uh, this summer, you'll start seeing us popping up in retail around the country. Uh, and we make chocolate, coffee, nuts, seeds, oils. Um, it's a very robust portfolio. Uh, but know that when you're supporting Good Sam Foods, you are supporting a regenerative system that has human equity at its heart and soul. That is what we do. That is what drives us every single day, um, protecting the planet so we can protect people. Um, ourselves and everyone collectively, and that we can all prosper for generations to come. That's what being an ally for small farmers is all about, right? To, to recognize the connectivity from that package you're picking up and realizing the sunshine and the rainfall and the hands and the people and the love that have gone into bringing that forward um, under your beautiful guidance, Heather. Thank you. I'm a, I'm a small part, um, meaning that I steer the ship, but there's a lot of people who work at this company and who work with this company that do so much of the heavy lifting. And I hope that, you know, everyone here, if you're listening to this and our mission and our company resonates with you, follow us on Instagram, follow us on LinkedIn, follow us everywhere, TikTok. Um, you can see a lot behind the scenes um, in those platforms. And we welcome you to come see behind the scenes because once you see it, you can't unsee it. That's right. It's wonderful. Ah, I love this. This has been so much fun. I am so grateful that we were able to find time to be together. I deeply appreciate the integrity with which 
You are steering, guiding, visioning with your incredible team. It takes someone to have that volition and intention for the ship to have a path forward. So while I love your humility and honoring all those who work with you, Heather, it also is because you have been so clear about these values have to be integrated into the entire custody of the bra of the brand from beginning to finish. That my dear is a beautiful reflection of your beautiful heart. So thank, thank, you. You. thank you. Thank you. I'll, I will accept that. And thank you. Thank for that. you. Yes, I'm glad. I appreciate that. You've been listening to Regenerative Rising, Elevating Stories, Activating Change. I'm your host, Celine Diaris, and with me today has been Heather Terry, the founder and CEO of Good Sam Foods. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me.